Hello and welcome to What Have I Done with me, Caroline Jones. In each episode, I'll be joined by a guest to discover how the spark of an idea set them on their fundraising journey. They'll explain why they chose their particular charity and share the highs and lows that invariably come with the intensity of fundraising. At the centre of each conversation is an emotional story of how inner grit and determination can lead to a lasting legacy for the fundraiser and for the charity. In this episode, I chat to Leah Chowdhury, an inspirational fundraiser who took on the challenge to swim the English Channel to support the British Asian Trust. Leah tells her first-hand account of visiting India and how it motivated her to support the charity. She shares with me what it takes to train and complete this iconic 30-mile swim and how it felt to be the first British Asian woman in history to swim the channel. I also chat to Leah about her book, Making a Splash, with all proceeds going to Cancer Research UK. Leah is an example of someone who digs in, overcomes hurdles and keeps pushing forward with her fundraising and it was a pleasure to chat to her. You can find the links to Leah's campaign, her book, the British Asian Trust and Cancer Research UK in the show notes. My thanks to Leah and of course to you for listening. Leah. Thank you so much for joining me on What Have I Done? Um, I'm incredibly excited to speak to you and to hear your story because in researching your amazing fundraising campaign, plural, campaigns, um, there is one sort of sentence that I just want to read out, if I may, and I think it sort of sets the tone for you and what you've achieved. So... In 2018, at just 26 years old, Leah was the first British Asian woman to swim the English Channel, 22 miles. An incredible feat that involved 14 hours, 44 minutes of non-stop swimming. Despite obstacles like jellyfishes, ship tankers, daylight, nightfall and seasickness. Only 1,497 swimmers have completed a solo swim. In fact, more people have climbed Mount Everest. And I'll just finish with this piece, which I thought was really powerful. Most successful swimmers are male and the average age is 36. She defied the odds on grounds of gender, age and ethnicity. Now, I almost I need to high five you virtually because that is unbelievable (laughs) on so many on so many levels and I really want to get in there get in deep and talk about all of this but you know reflecting on that in 2018 what does that hearing that back now what does that what are you what are you reflecting on yeah I think even hearing it now what three years later it does still give me goosebumps and it's still a bit like wow was that was that me that did that um but yeah it was it's incredible and I think 
I'd like to say that it was a, it was obviously it was a solo swim, but it was something that was a very much a team effort. I had an incredible team around me with a great um, coach, a nutritionist, my family, my mother, who emotionally supported me throughout the entire two years of training as well as the swim. Um, so it was it was a number of people supporting me. But yeah, it's an incredible. It's still it still shocks me to hear um, being the first British Asian woman to ever swim across the English. It it is quite it is such a powerful sentence and I you know you broke barriers didn't you you were you are in that category in fact I did do a, a google search on the the swimmers who've run who've swum the English channel and there is your name I mean there yeah. is your time and there it does say you know first British Asian woman that's such a powerful um piece of history that you're part of and and I just wondered when you were a young girl, when you were in that swimming pool, you know, swimming and, and presumably having swimming lessons, did you ever think that you would one day swim the English Channel? I always think I knew at the back of my head that I wanted to do something very big. I've always, I will probably delve into this a little bit on this podcast, but I think my journey of kind of wanting to help people started at a very young age. And I knew that... Uh, when I started training and swimming that 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 was something that God had gifted with me that like I happened to be very natural in the pool I just loved it and I think when you you're very passionate about something and you work hard and dedicate yourself to it uh, great results come from it and I think um I I was very blessed to have that skill and I and I knew I wanted to do something good with it I didn't know to what extent and I didn't know it would have this ripple effect of swimming the English channel but I did know that there was there was something in me that God or the universe or someone who'd put me on this planet to do something ridiculous and I always knew that I always knew that from a very very young age but I would never say it was swimming the English channel no Exactly. And it sounds like a long time ago, you know, you, you've, you've joined up the dots and it, you got to that point, age 26. That's a very young age to think I'm going to take on that channel uh, ch- challenge. I'm going to train for what you just said, two years. Just take a step back. And what was the, what was the motivation behind the actual challenge? Um, I think so. I've, like I mentioned, I kind of started my charity work at a very young age of like seven and we'll probably delve into that a little bit but the actual the swim itself um I've always supported like children's charities I think that's where my my passion and my love and my empathy goes out so much um and I've always kind of looked for very exciting projects I ran the marathon for UNICEF um and I was just in I was in talks with um, a number of different um kind of individuals who supported charities as well as trusts um and I came across British Asia Trust which is the trust that's set up by Prince Charles he um does a number of projects out in Asia um South Asia um, and one of the projects that he, um, that the, the trust supports is this project out in Mumbai. Um, and I was looking for my next, um, I was getting a bit itchy feet. Um, after a few years, I'm after one challenge, I get a bit itchy feet and I'd done the marathon a couple of years prior. And I was like, I need to find my next project and I need to find. So I flew out, out to Mumbai and, um, I was taken, um, by one of the social workers out there um, to Red, uh, it's a red light district um, 
it's actually um, women had been sold um, by their families into the sex slave industry. So if that it was um, kind of unintentionally or intentionally, like if they couldn't afford to pay dowry payments or they were sold into this industry. Um, so I actually went into one of the brothels, so where they would work. Um, so I, I remember walking in and I remember it so vividly. I walked in and it was rat infested. There was wires hanging off the walls. It was just unhabited. Like, I just don't know how individuals like lived in, in those conditions. And I walked in um, to one of the rooms. Um, I say rooms in the in the looser sense. I would, I would call it more of a cubby hole. It was actually worked out when I came back. It was the same size as a UK prison cell, exactly the same size. And I walked in and there was these three women in there. They had three like planks of wood um, and it was slightly raised and they were sitting on these, these planks of wood and they were bruised and there was arms and like you could see bruising all up their arms. They looked, they looked completely like soulless. Like you, you looked at them, there was like almost nothing left of them. Um, and there was like carvings on, on the wall, like um, Roman tallying. And I, and I asked the social worker who had taken me in being like, what is this? And they were like, oh, it's actually from the pimp. They say, if you have a certain amount of like clients or you've like had sex with a certain amount of people will let you go. Um, but that, that changed every day. And that, that was manipulated on a day-to-day -day basis. So, so they would psychologically brainwash them. And, and I, and I was speaking to them and one of the girls was like, oh, I was sold into the industry at the age 11. And she was like, I was tied to the bed for years and I was raped and I was abused. And, and she was like, I didn't see daylight for years. Like I was never allowed out of here. And, and at this point I was on the edge of like going to cry. I was like, how can this happen in the 21st century? And then when I was about on the brink of, of about to like break down, all of these children came running in and I was like, what, what is this? Like they were of like, their descents were all very different, like half Chinese, half like, and I was just like, like half English. And I was like, whose children are these and the social worker turned around and goes oh well these are the children of the the mothers who are in the sex slave industry they've obviously had sex with clients or been raped and got pregnant and then have given birth to these children and I was like what and I was like oh so where do they live and they're like oh they live underneath the plank of wood underneath all their pots and pans and witness their mothers performing sexual activities and being raped on a, on a daily basis. And that was it. And that was it for me. I was like, I am not living in a world where this can happen. I just can't, I can't, I was, I'm, I studied child psychology at university. I've got my own childcare business. I, I, I knew the detrimental effects that this has on mm. a child's upbringing. And at that point I was like, I need to do something to make a difference because mm. I knew if I didn't, that those girls, those children will turn into the next, the next women who have to perform sexual activities and those boys will become the next pimps. Good so I knew goodness. I had to do something. So Such that's a power. I such a powerful observation and your emotions must have been heightened and you came away then and 
how did you then connect with the charity British Asian um, Foundation what was a British Asian Trust how did you make that connection so they were in the process of um, kind of building like a shelter next to the brothel so this shelter would provide the children with kind of like um, so the school was actually a couple of doors down from the shelter so they would have like homes that were cut they would can come back to they can sleep they could do their homework have a kind of a sort of normal childhood and provide kind of a safe haven so they essentially didn't have to witness on a day-to-day basis what their mothers were going through so they would go to school they would come back to the shelter they can eat they can sleep they can drink and their mothers can go and visit them and then the mothers would go back to go back to um, the brothel so they were in the process of of building that and I decided that I was going to help fund that building and that home um, for the children so um, yeah that's when I raised 50,000 pounds for that particular shelter. Amazing so you came back to the UK back to home and where are we are we in sort of 2016 at what point did you say right this is the connection I'm going to fundraise for this charity and this is what I'm going to do this is how I'm going to make that money Mm. did you have a plan did you just think (laughs) you know I'm fascinated by that moment because a lot of other fundraisers tell me there was this you know crystallized moment whether you were I don't know whether you're in the shower or you're walking you have that moment of almost clarity this is what I'm going to do this is how I'm going to do it so actually in the brothel itself was the moment I decided I'm going to do something about this. I, at that moment, I didn't know how how I was going to raise funds and what I was going to do or anything like that. But I knew that I had to do something. So that was a moment for me that was that crystallization of kind of like, right, something needs to be done and it's going to be done by me. I will work out the how afterwards. And I think in a number of different areas of my life, that's when passion comes through, you find a way. So if it was when I set up my own company, it was like, I know I'm going to provide mobile childcare to children and have access to all parents. So children can, we can, or everyone can access childcare. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And that always ends up coming after for me. So at that moment was when it kind of was like, I know I'm going to do something. It was, sorry. No, no. Yeah. So it was then when I got back, I was a bit like, what do I do? Like, how do I do it? Like, what, where do I start? Like, what? and I think for me, I had, I'd been on that fundraising journey. So I had, I had ran the London Marathon. Um, I've done another, of, uh, another, a lot of number uh, and lots of other um, charity kind of fundraising events. And so I kind of had an understanding of, of how difficult it is. And it's very, very challenging to raise money. Um, so I was like, I want to do something that's so ridiculous. People are like, why have you decided to do this? Like what? And it always tells its own story. So I was kind of researching and I, and I've, and like you mentioned before, I'd always been a swimmer. I've, I've swum from a very, very young age. And I actually hadn't got into a pool for years before I started training. But I, I think it's one of those things that's when you've got the skill, you've kind of developed it and you can get back into it quite quickly. So then I was a bit like, well, I, I know that that's a strength of mine. Why can't I use a strength of mine? I, I know I'm good at this kind of thing. Um, and then I was a bit like, what if I swam to another country? And then I was like, 
this seems ridiculous. So then I just did a bit of Google searching and kind of like, can I swim from like, and then initially I was like, well, maybe I'll do it somewhere around India or maybe I was, and then I, I found, I stumbled across the Channel Swimming Association, which is, a, is a, essentially the governing body that manages all the swims from England to France. And I was like, people actually do this. This is a thing. Like people actually are crazy enough from swing to swim from England to France. I was like, at that point, I was like, I'm doing it. I, I, I'd made the decision. I've done it. So it was quite a, it was quite a funny story because I decided at that point I was going to do it. I found the best coach. I did all the research. I was sat at my desk for like a, a good four hours straight and I found the best coach. I decided when I was going to do it and found the best nutritionist. And my parents kind of are used to me doing some crazy things, but I knew when I had to tell them, um, I had to have all my facts straight. I had to have everything in place. I had to have all the answers ready because I knew that they were going to ask me 101 questions. So I had all my facts prepared and ready to go. And I went over to my parents. I said, mum, dad, I have decided that I'm going to swim the English channel. And they were like, oh my God, no, no, I'm not allowing you to do this. This is so dangerous, da, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, no, I've got the best nutritionist. I've got this, I've got this, I'm going to do this. Da, da, da. And I was like, there's even a channel swimming association. There's like a governing body to make this a little bit more kind of structured and safe. I was like, here's the website. So my mum got onto, got onto the website and was like, the website pinged up. And the first message on the on the website was condolences to the swimmer who passed away like a couple of like a couple of weeks ago trying to cross cross the channel swim. And I my hand, my hands oh head my dropped into my hands and I was like, I it's an uphill battle at this point now. So. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean at that point you it sounds to me as if you were looking for their um their their approval or their support and I think how important is that was that for you how how important at that very early moment to have that your your family you know backing you and supporting you on your on this direction that you were going to go on um truthfully with, with, with your full presentation to the side truth, truthfully at this point I had made the decision it was more of an informing situation yeah. but I know the upbringing I've had I've been very very fortunate that I know anything that I wanted to do my parents were behind me mm-hmm. and I think that's why I've got to the stage in my life as an Asian woman where the odds are against me realistically I've managed to uh, quote unquote achieve success or whatever you kind of been able to try so many things is that my parents from a very young age have always been like doesn't matter if you're a woman doesn't matter if you're from I think my majority background if you want to do something let's do it and let's find a way <clears throat> so I knew that they were always going to come round I I knew that there was always uh, there was never an L of me that thought they would never say they would be like 100% no um but it was about presenting it in the right way and making sure that we had all the facts so that they felt a bit more comfortable going yeah. into that conversation yeah it sounds like you've got this drive you've got all the facts in front of you yeah. you knew the ins and outs of it you've got your trainer your nutritionist you were full steam ahead and and when you have that drive and that motivation i think what 
talking to lots of other fundraisers, actually the nitty gritty detail of it is almost that, well, that'll just happen. It'll just somehow work its way out. But you had this real um, seam of direction that you were going to go in and nothing was going to stop you. You got your parents on board at that point. So the next step, all right, you've, pres- you've made your presentation. <laughs> my direction was, my direction was just France. That was my direction. <laughs> <It's Sully. laughs> so, yeah. so, you, so you, um, talk me through that then. So you joined the association. Is that how it works? No. So essentially the association, the association is just a governing body. So they, they monitor your swim. So they have a representative on the boat with you when when you actually are doing the swim there's there's rules where you're not allowed there's like particular rules that you have to adhere to when you're doing your swim and the official will be on the boat to ensure that you are adhering to those for example you're not allowed to wear a wetsuit you have to only wear a swimsuit you're not allowed physical contact with anyone or anything during your swim you're not allowed to stop there's so there's there's a few rules that you have to adhere to um for it to be like a qualifying swim that is official documented and all that kind of stuff I see the swimming outfit you know I love my fashion there <laughs> uh, I've watched the YouTube clip I was emotional I'm going to be honest I did cry oh. <laughs> I, think the, the, I think it was the backing track um, yeah. you added on. I'm going to put the link by the way on the podcast so anybody wants to watch I really would urge you to go and have a look at Liz um, the, the, the clip it's really emotional it really sort of takes me to, you know I feel like I'm swimming along with you <laughs> but um uh, I just want to talk to you about your your swimming costume because in my head I thought she'll be in a wetsuit she'll have uh, I don't know some sort of heated system in <laughs> running through it's 13 degrees temperature it's, this is this is cold it's dangerous uh, but no you're in a floral one piece <laughs> and a nice um, matching hat I, I've got to, we've got to do it in style, obviously. <laughs> We're going to do it. Yeah. So the, the swimming association doesn't, it has to be as authentic as the first swimmer that ever crossed the channel. And the first ever swimmer never wore a swimsuit, so a wetsuit. So you, as a woman, you have to wear just a one piece swimsuit. And as men, you've got to just wear trunks. So actually, the only thing that was keeping me warm was the fat I'd gained. So I had gained about 10 kgs of just pure fat to do that swim so that I could keep warm because the biggest risk of death in actually doing the swim um, is hypothermia so that is very very dangerous so I had to gain a lot of weight to complete the swim itself um, and to get into that swimsuit. (laughs) And how um, involved was that was that a a, a slow process for you you talk about having a nutritionist did you did you work with your nutritionist did your diet change Oh, yes, absolutely. I was on almost 3000 calories a day, like I was eating anything I was touching. I I also was bearing in mind that there was a lot of expenditure, like I was, I was training up to 10 hours a week, like, so I was burning calories like no tomorrow. So I had to put everything into my body. So yeah, I was, I was working with a nutritionist over those kind of like, like last 18 months to put on that weight. But it wasn't easy being like anyone that has to change their body shape mm-hmm. to do a physical challenge. I got comments like aunties would come up to me and be like, 
you've put on a bit of weight uh do you know what you're doing like I was told by like uh, my community of Asian Asian aunties like you are you're no longer eligible uh, eligible to someone to get married no one's going to look at you the same way like, I got comments all the time about my weight because I had gained gained so much at that point um that must have been really hard because you're not only are you focusing on your challenge which is massive and isolating and you know you've got one go at this but also to have those other elements that probably weren't even thinking that you're going to have to discuss the weight gain the reason behind that that's quite exhausting quite emotional for you how did you manage to sort of block that out and think no I, I know what I'm doing I know I'm on the right track I think I'm human. I don't think you can block that out. I think it's when I decided to swim the English Channel, I I went in with the idea of this is a physical challenge. Like I have to swim from one country to another and that is ridiculous. And I think a big aspect of that challenge and my journey was actually this is 50% mind. This is a 50% mental challenge. And I think that's what why one a big one of the biggest motivators for me to write my children's book because it was all about mindset half of half of this challenge even though it was a physical challenge was mental and it was about understanding about where you focus your energy and I and I was very insecure like I'd gained weight and I I knew I'd gained weight I looked in the mirror and I knew I had put on weight my jeans weren't fitting my uh, but at that time I think it was a, an aspect of kind of like separating and complementing, like separating each aspect out and being mm-hmm. like, I can't mentally deal with your comments right now because I'm in a state of I need to get to the pool, get in the water, train, get out, stretch, do physio, kind of do my nutritionist, prep for my meals, run my business, try and have some sort of relationship with my family and then get back in the pool again. Yeah, so you 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 tr- you coming into my circle you coming in and trying to have a comment like that mm. is it's it almost doesn't affect me because I can't comprehend what you're saying because it's so it's so far-fetched in that moment going back to the the training now I'm assuming you weren't in the channel training you talked about you're in the pool training is that a very different experience you 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 know you're in a chlorinated water without any jellyfish without any tidal seasickness how do you actually train for the channel how do you how do you how do you prepare for that yeah, in hindsight, I was very naive. <laughs> I was I was a pool swimmer. I was a national swimmer growing up. I was always in the pool. And when I decided to swim the English Channel, I had never, ever done an open water swim. So I'd never swum outside the pool. And that is equivalent of me being like, I'm a skier. I can snowboard. Like, this is, this is fine. Like, it's on it's on snow. Um, it's not, and it's not the same. And it's definitely not. It's just a completely different technique of stroke. It's your, anyway. So initially my, my coach was incredible. We, we kind of did a lot of, the thing is we're in England, right? So we can't go out and swim open water throughout 20, 12 months of the year. So initially we kind of got in the pool, got my stamina up. And then I used to um, train in the, in the docks in London. I would train in, there's a, a, a open water swim in Thought by Thought Park. I would train out the, in the lakes there. So when it started to get a bit warmer, I did a bit more open water swims. And then I went down to Dover when it was kind of a temperature that when it was about nine degrees, but it would 
you could last about 45 minutes in it but it, it, it practiced you mentally to get into the water um and then when I could I went abroad so I did my qualifying swim out in Croatia um that's like a, 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 a four or five hour swim that you've got to do to qualify to even attempt to swim the English Channel. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I try to do that as much as I can. But but weather's not on your side in the UK. So you can't just be out open water swimming as it like if you were in Australia, you wouldn't even swim in pools. You were just constantly out in open water. Hi, you're listening to What Have I Done with me, Caroline Jones. And now back to the conversation. I am going to quote now. I feel like this is the right moment. I went onto your Just Giving page. By the way, I I was absolutely gobsmacked by the amount of donations you received and the money. Just remind me how much in total did you raise for the for the um uh, the channel? The crossing? channel, I, the channel swim. I raised one hundred and fifty five thousand pounds. Fantastic! Absolutely yeah. incredible. I've got a couple of quotes here, which I, which just I'm going to have to read out. Since primary school, you were always the best, best swimmer. And now you're going to smash the channel. That's Anna Hurley. So she saw the vision. She believed in you, Leah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is such a great initiative. I'm glad to see an Asian woman set the bar so high and shatter another glass ceiling. That's from HB. And I love this one. Just a girl swimming in a sea of sharks. (laughs) <laughs> That's Jay Matharu. And by the way, I did just before I came on, I ch- uh, came on to speak to you. I did just double check. And yes, the, the channel does have sharks. <laughs> Mig- migratory thresher sharks in particular. So yeah. did you know that? Did you know there were sharks in the channel? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. again you just can't I think this is what when people say to me they're like do you know that you're going to go into this and you're going to swim in the dark for two hours and I think you can't get in your head at that point you can't be like I am swimming in the dark and I have no idea what's underneath me and it's a spiral you're all you're thinking in that moment is right right arm left arm right arm left arm right that's all I I can't I can't spiral because the moment I spiral I'm in that on that boat with with my coach and my brother (laughs) Did you break down your 14 hours, 40 minutes? Did you have any concept of time? Obviously, light and day. Uh, yeah, the sort of moments of the, the daylight changing. But were you aware of the time? Were you aware of any of those no. factors? Um, so I knew I had predicted if everything kind of went my way, I was going to do it between 14 and 15 hours. So I knew that was a kind of the ballpark figure, but you don't know because if the tide's stronger at a particular time and you, you, the tide turns and you haven't quite made it to a certain point, you're being pulled back in the wrong direction. And that could add two, three, four hours onto your swim. Um, so no, I didn't have an understanding of time, but what I did have an understanding of is, um, my feeds. So I used to get, I say feed as if it's going to be a bacon sandwich, but it's, it's a little electrolyte shot. Um, and I knew my feeds were every about 30 minutes. Um, and I would stop for about 20, 20 seconds or so. So I knew I would swim to my next feed. So psychologically you have, that's all you've got to do. You just got to break it down. Then this is anything that you want to achieve. I think if it's a fundraising kind of target, or if it's a challenge, a charity challenge or setting up a business, you, you have your overall goal. I am going to swim the channel, but then you've got to, you've got to mentally break it down into smaller, smaller parts of, okay, I've got to get to the next feed or, and then the next one. And then, okay, I've got through. So there was different zones in the channel. 
there's like the English English lane and then there's one shipping lane going one way and the shipping lane going another way and then there's the English and then the French waters so you we like okay I'm gonna have 10 feeds in the English water and then I'm gonna get to one shipping lane and I'm gonna have 15 feeds there and then there's essentially a little hard shoulder in between that no one's allowed to go into and then the next shipping lane and so you're, you're psychologically breaking it down into smaller parts because if I walked it if I went into that water being like I'm going to swim 15 hours I would never have been able to achieve that personally. Mm. So I would go in and being like, I remember that I got to the point where I kind of hit the wall about 11 hours in. And I knew my, my, my coach was, I, my coach was like, you've got about four hours at this point. And I was like, right. I know that that's just two training sessions back to back. And that's how I did it. That's, I know I do two hour training. I've just got to do two training sessions back to back and I can get to the other side. Yeah. So you've got to have these little techniques to be able to, to break it down and I only learned that when I failed failed when I was out in Croatia and I failed the day before my qualifying swim oh. and this was the game-changing moment for me when it came to my channel swim that moment so you thought you knew that to keep going you needed to break it down you needed to give yourself those small steps that's such a really good tip and it's something that actually I can relate to myself that's what I did with my challenge Looking forward to the very end, the goal line, the finishing line was just impossible. It was just too much. Tell me some of the um, horrible things that happened to you that you encountered in the waters. And then we'll move on to something happy. But I just want to <laughs> tell me some of the really horrible stuff that you, if you don't mind. Because yes, um, you know, I, I, I just can't imagine for a moment what it's like to be in that water for so long. What did you encounter? So um, when I started, it was in the dark. So it was pitch black. Um, so I had no idea where I was going or what I was doing. And the waters were quite choppy. So the waters were quite choppy. So I was like kind of bouncing up and down. And my nutritionist was like, you need to have two peanut butter and jam sandwiches before you get in because it'll keep you going for as long as you can. Because you don't eat food when you're in the, in the, in the um, channel. You'll get occasionally, may potentially get a gel, like a little jelly baby or something, but that's about it. Um Let's just say that that peanut butter and jelly sandwich is now in the channel. Um, I ended up throwing it up because I was just so sick. And I was like being sick, but then swimming through my sick because I had to keep swimming. So I didn't stop and then was sick and then carried on. So that was probably the oh, toughest time. Um, those first couple of hours. Oh. I battled jellyfish. I had jellyfish sting. Like I, at one point I had a jellyfish kind of wrapped into my goggles <gasps> while I was like ripping it out. Um, oh. A lot of seaweed. I saw a sea, I actually saw a sea lion at one point um yeah so battles quite a lot of good grief and nothing no intervention no one allowed to say look out over there move out the way don't you know avoid the jellyfish school just (laughs) you're on your own it's such an isolating challenge Mm -hmm. and you swam from the English coast to the French coast I've um I'm fascinated to know the ending how do you then how what are the rules do you just swim onto the beach and and um someone puts a nice warm towel around you or what 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 
What's so, the finishing line, Leah? How, 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 <laughs> yeah, so because the, the tide is so strong, you never know where you're going to finish. And it's a very, very small chance that you will actually finish on a beach. Oh. But I ended up actually finishing on the beach where I swam up. And actually, when I was swimming, there was a man on a paddleboard that was on by the water. And he was getting closer and closer and closer to me. And if he had touched me, my swim would have been disqualified. Um, so my coach was like screaming from the boat, like, get away from her, don't touch her luckily he didn't but I swam up into um onto the um the the beaches in France and people around that area know that they're channel swimmers so they all these people came running down from their houses like running over to me and they were like oh my god like round of applause and like at that point I could barely get out of the water like my body was like giving up so I was like crawling up the beach like trying to stand up amazing and um, you have to get yourself out of the water you have to get yourself out of the water so then you get up and then essentially that that photo of me kind of my hands raised and my fluorescent was what the moment I had taken off my goggles and officially swam the English channel Incredible. and it was so ironic because there was an individual that came running over to me after that photo and was like are you Leah Chowdhury and I was like yes and they were like I've been tracking your swim from the other side and I've been running up and down the coast trying to find you can I have a selfie and my family won't believe us and I was like yeah, yeah. and I was like oh. yeah sure <laughs> you see then that's so polite isn't it yes, you're, yes of course no, the reality yeah. is you've been in the water for almost 15 hours um yeah. what is your body going through at that point when you're on land and you know <laughs> are you having some physical I was so hungry or? I was just so hungry like there's a part in my book that my, my children's book and, and it actually talks about how I was so hungry and the first thing I did when I got out of the water was like I really want prawn cocktail crisps like I had a craving for prawn cocktail crisps maybe it was the salt or the sea or whatever it was I was like I need prawn cocktail crisps so I got back onto the boat and ate my prawn cocktail crisps that, so. that was your rider yeah yeah prawn cocktail do they did they have them yes yeah no I I I saw some sort of crisps when I was swimming on the boat because I could see because my my brother was actually on the boat and he would hold up signs for my family and friends of like messages from them on like a whiteboard so I could read them as I was going along which just spurred me on and there was one point where he was eating crisps and I was like I know what I'm getting when I come out of the water. <laughs> and it was, and it was oh, those crisps. So. What did the, um, the people who sponsored you, uh, I don't know whether there were, were a mix of friends or complete strangers, but what did that do for you in, in, in your challenge itself when you're in the water and on your own? What did it feel like knowing that you got this whole sponsorship money and these, these brilliant comments there did that did that spur you on so I think when I decided to start my fundraise my fundraise my target was only 50,000 pounds so I I was absolutely blown away by the support I got and the biggest point that that impacted me was actually when I did my qualifying swim so I went out to Croatia about three or four months prior to my actual swim where you have to go out and do like a qualifying swim to essentially say that you're fit enough to get in the water and it's not dangerous you have to do like a certain amount of of swimming and I I did a couple of days before and then on the fourth or fifth day out out there I I decided that that was the day I was going to do my qualifying swim and the day before I got into the water to do like a mere two or three, two hour swim, three hours. So it was a three hour swim. I was like, I'm going to go in and just do a three hour swim to like prep me for my big qualifying swim tomorrow. And I got into the water and this was the moment what I define as my failure. I got into that water and I, 
I, I knew from the moment I hit that water, there was something wrong. I was bobbing up and down. The tide was very strong. The swells of the waves were pushing me under. I couldn't breathe. I was, I just psychologically, I was just completely could not, I felt like I was drowning. I began, then began to like have a bit of a panic attack that started crying. The water in my goggles started to fill up. I, and after about, I would say about 35 minutes of being in that water, my coach got, called it and was like, get out, this is unsafe, and pulled me out of that water. And that was the moment I I decided, I was like, I failed. Because at that point, I had raised £100,000. And I was like, what am I going to do with this money that all of these people have decided to support me and like have faith in me and give their her hard-earned cash to me and at this point I don't know if I'm going to do this swim tomorrow this qualifying swim and that was the moment there when I decided I was like this is this is failure what do I do in this moment so that was a moment I kind of went back and I was like why did I fail why did I get out of this water and that was the moment where I was like I've trained enough I've done enough of the swimming the nutrition the physical aspect of this swim ticked I ticked all those boxes and that was the moment when I realized that this is as much of a mental game as it is a physical game and I mentally needed to be in that space and that's when I was like I called my mum she's a life coach she kind of mentally prepared me for this I read books I podcasted for 12 hours I just mentally got in the zone and the next day I got in and I completed my four-hour qualifying swim there was no training difference there was nothing that was different it was completely and utterly mental and the reason what spurred me on was that hundred thousand pounds of people being like you they have faith in me and that is the reason why I decided to to write my my children's book about that kind of like mental strength and the I can attitude and the importance of giving back because look what you can achieve in a period of 12 hours when you've got the right mindset and understand how important giving back is yeah so interesting to hear that failure I don't see it as a failure, but you saw that as a failure was the turning point and the driver that got you over the finishing line. And with so many people, it's that weight. Certainly, I felt that, that weight of expectation on your shoulders that you've got this money from strangers or being a bit for hard-earned money, people's hard-earned money. They've chosen to make that donation. They've clicked on the Just Living link. They've made the, the, the money. And... Uh, very early on in my own campaign, I actually thought, how do I refund? Could I refund people? <laughs> Cancel yes. the whole thing? Yes, yes. <laughs> no, by the way, you can't do that. Um, <laughs> A lot it, of fundraisers go through that, yes. Yes, and I, yeah. I, I don't think it's really talked about enough it, it, um, or very much is this admission that, you know, there is a huge weight on your yes. shoulders from a very early point. If it's a success, if it's a campaign that just literally hits the waves like yours did, you 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 obviously it resonated with people. People believed that you could do it. Mm. And is that a characteristic that you've discovered about yourself? Did you did you always think you think that you had that grit and determination, or did you discover something about yourself that wasn't, you know, that perhaps you yeah. thought was never there? No, I never thought I was. I never thought I had that, but I think that's what that moment made me realize that everyone's got that 
every single person in the entire world has that mental capacity to be able to have that I can attitude. And I, I want to be able to explain with my story, which is where my book comes in making a splash, is that I want to use my story of my fundraising experience of when I gave up chocolate sweets and fizzy drinks when I was seven and I ran the marathon and then this big failure before my big swim to show young children that everyone has this I can attitude. And it's just, it's like that. It's literally like a click and you've got it and you, or you don't have it. Like it's about switching your mind in that moment to be like, I can do this. Yeah. And and that's what that's I, I believe everyone's got that. And I only I only understood that after I uh, after I had experiences. Yeah, failure. exactly. You, you do. You, it's interesting where it's taking you now and it's taken you to this book. Let's just talk about that now, because obviously, as you said, at the very beginning, you got your itchy feet again. It's time <laughs> to do another fundraising campaign. And here we are in well, beginning of the year, January 22. You began the um, the book has launched. You set up your GoFund campaign and this time you're fundraising for Cancer Research UK. Tell me a little bit more about that and why you chose uh, Cancer Research UK. So um, Cancer Research UK is a, a, a charity that's very close to my heart. Um, it's uh, my father was diagnosed with chronic lymphatic leukemia um back in 2016 um and it's a it's a type of leukemia blood cancer that's chronic so it's something that's always going to be with him for his whole life um he was diagnosed very kind of out of the blue it was just a, a health checkup and his white blood cells seemed to be very unusually unusually high um and he was diagnosed and and i think within a couple of months he was going through chemotherapy and watching someone who's a proud kind of father very traditional breadwinner loves what he like kind of his work and contribution and watch him deteriorate in that way and watch him go from being that figure to someone that was unable to kind of get out of bed and do normal day-to-day activities was extremely difficult and um I knew I knew at that point there was actually a trial drug that was going on at the time and um my father didn't actually get in onto the trial drug but I knew that there was something trial there was a trial drug going on so when I had hit my target of 50 50,000 pounds for the British Asia Trust on my swim I decided to do the remainder for Cancer Research UK and actually focus on specializing in that particular drug for or for my father that that tr- that trial drug and and we're now in 2021 and very sadly my dad was put into remission but the cancer has now come back and that that drug that I had fundraised for is now readily available and available to the public so he can now use that drug um if it gets to that point instead of going through chemotherapy so watching that journey of in 2016 and not having that drug and watching my father go through chemotherapy and and my funds directly going to that trial drug and now it is publicly available in such a short period of time is just incredible yeah so I decided that I want to continue that reputation that kind of I'm now an ambassador of cancer research UK um but I'm I'm focusing my funds this time on on children and young people because it's a children's book and I want to I wanted to focus on on that area of cancer I, I I love the fact that you've tailored your charity fundraising, and you can do that with some charities. They um they if 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 there's an opportunity to do that, you 
Cancer Research UK, for example, you can tailor it. And I think as the the fundraiser, that gives you that, um, perhaps it gives you that motivation. Would I be right in saying that you've got that extra drive? You've, you've really channeled down where the money's going, that targeted, um, the impact that money is having. How did you connect with the charity? So I connected just through just through a friend. One of my friends actually fundraises for them, and I said, "Look, this is what I'm doing." And then we just we got connected, and I said, "Look, this is the challenge I'm doing." And they were like, "As most people are like, are you crazy?" And I was like, "Yeah, kind of. I think you all all fundraisers have got to be slightly out of the box thinking." So um, yeah, we all are. I think so. It's, I'm then, nodding. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, so so some of the money that you ran um, the Channel Swim, yeah, a percentage of that money went to cancer research 105,000 pounds 105,000 wow incredible Mm -hmm. and then now this year the book let's discuss because I love the concept of this I love the the fact that you're aiming it at children that's your Mm -hmm. passion yeah and that you're talking to them about can-do attitude giving back where are you with the book Uh, tell me about this where can you get it my book making a splash by Leah Chowdhury is um it is going to be launching on the 3rd of March which is less than a month away which is very very exciting you can get it it's available on Amazon um, making a splash um it's for 10 pounds and all net proceeds will be going to cancer research um and it's essentially yeah like my story of like fundraising and how I've kind of got through my hurdles as a fundraiser and all these challenges that I've done to make a splash and make a difference in the world um and kind of encouraging children to do the same and um, the importance of giving back and importance of kind of like helping people and that could be in a very small way of opening the door to someone your teacher or kind of um letting someone like kind of help someone crossing the road or it can be very very small um or it can be very large like swimming the ink channel and do you think your younger self would have picked the book up Oh, 100%. It's amazing because the book is also all about my my swim, but then at the end we have activities. So we've kind of got activities of kind of like that, what ideas of giving a kind of fundraising and what we can do to like help fundraising, but also ideas about kind of that I can attitude, right? This is kind of the things that we would previously say and now have, we have an I can attitude. These are things that we might say and there's spot the difference and there's little activities in the back that they can kind of, they can mm-hmm. get involved with. And it's very kind of, it's not just, sit there and read it's it's a very interactive book yeah. sounds like it's just opening the door to the next chapter Leah I feel like with you we <laughs> might be coming back in a year's time and there will be a record a film the next the next is there anything else is there something would you be willing to share with me is there anything tickling away you know have you, have you got any little other sparks <laughs> of ideas or are you just no, I'm not articulating it. I haven't spoken to my mum. I haven't. <laughs> I need to, just... um, to be honest with you, I think having swam the English Channel, I came away from that swim and I said to myself, my mission from that point um, was that one was that by the age of 30, I would have liked single-handedly to raise a quarter of a million pounds for charity. And I'm not far off. And my birthday's my 30th birthday's in April. So fingers crossed I hit that. But my second one was reflection was that 
I can go away and I can do fundraising and I can do another challenge and I can run another London Marathon. But I think my aim and my purpose in this world of being here is that it's actually that ripple effect. It's that me sitting down and being like, this is my story and me talking to you and then your listeners hearing this story and it may impact five people. And then um, those five people may talk to another five people that may do some fundraising who will talk to another five people. And I think that that's my next aim. My aim is kind of like, there was a quote that I have in my book of um, actually Mother Teresa quote that says, if you cast a pebble across the, the, the river, then you have a ripple effect and see the ripple effect that you have. And I think that's what I want to do. I want to hopefully inspire a couple of people that, who then inspire a couple of people. And, and this, is a, this is a change that I couldn't individually do by myself, but as a collective, we can make a huge change altogether. That's such a powerful message, Leah. And I, you know, everything I've heard is inspiring. It's about courage. It's about motivation and drive. You have it in buckets. And I'm so inspired to listen to you and hear that. And I do hope that this is, if you're listening and it's triggered this sort of desire to fundraise yourself and that go to have a go attitude, everybody has it in them. You're a great example and a great ambassador for all the causes that you're fundraising for. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I wish you well. I know we're going to stay in touch and I'm going to put all the details, all the links at the end of the show, but thank you so much. Thank and you. I feel like you will be reaching your target. No oh, doubt fingers about crossed. it. Fingers crossed. fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. I would love to. And yeah, if if there is fundraisers out there who need ideas or support or having difficulties, like my best way to contact me is through Instagram. So Leah Chowdhury at Instagram. My profile's open, slide into my DMs. I Let's love have that. a chat. I don't know what you just said. I love it. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank Lots you. Bye. Bye. What Have I Done is a Just Voices production and is sponsored by Just Giving. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg and presented by me, Caroline Jones.